There are a couple very popular books out there right now about parish best practices. A lot of people know that our parishes aren't operating as well as they ought to, and they're writing books about that. And every book like this has to start with a section of trying to identify the problem. Why is it that our parishes struggle to retain the youth? Why is it that our parishes struggle to raise up disciples to Jesus? Why is it that our parishes struggle to really bring people to a point of faith and self-sacrifice and commitment? Why are we losing so many Catholics every year? Well, the one I'm reading right now has as its lens, its hermeneutic, about why parishes aren't working, the word consumerism. So this author, these two authors, are saying, for too long, we have run parishes as essentially businesses where we have customers. The people in the pews are consumers. They've come to take or consume whatever we're offering. And parish administration has been just trying to keep those people happy. So they have demands that they give to the parish staff, and the parish staff says, okay, we will be responsive to those demands. This author is suggesting that that is the opposite of the way you create an evangelical parish because it creates essentially a system or a business that serves the insiders and it doesn't do anything to bring new people in. In fact, a lot of times it creates a system where you serve what the people in the pews want to the detriment of the people out there. And so this author is saying, a parish should make decisions based on the lost, the people who aren't there, and what they need. Now, I don't like this book as well as some of the other ones I've read, because I think he's trading the consumerism of the parishioners for the consumerism of the non-parishioners, and it's still consumerism up and down the line. But I give you this hermeneutic, because it'll help us understand what John the Baptist is getting at in our gospel. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? John the Baptist was the first prophet in Israel for 400 or 500 years. There were prophets following the Babylonian exile. They talked about the temple and restoring the Jewish community and how people needed to be focused on the law. But there weren't prophets for a very, very long time, which was an existential crisis for the Jews because their whole identity was God spoke to us. God has been with us. He has given us prophet after prophet after prophet, and then the prophets dried up, and there weren't any prophets. And so John the Baptist is out in the desert baptizing, and the people of the time see him as the first prophet in centuries. Everybody wants to go see him. Everybody wants to know what this guy is about. We finally have a prophet in our midst. And so they go. And most of the people who go, the ones that John is there for, they take to heart his message of repentance and conversion. They undergo a baptism of repentance. They are baptized in the Jordan, confessing their sins and being brought back to right relationship with God. So John the Baptist sees the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, and he says, why are you here? Because they were not coming to repent. 
Most of what we know about the Pharisees and Sadducees suggests that if they were told to repent, they would say, we have no need to repent. They viewed themselves as righteous and sinless, which is usually what Jesus gets after them for. Jesus is fine for people to care about the law, care about the faith, but he's not fine for people to say, we don't need salvation, we're good. So probably they came to John the Baptist without a spirit of repentance, simply as consumers. Okay, we want to see what this guy's about. We just want to take in whatever he's doing, but we don't want to engage in it at all. right? We are passive recipients. We don't want to engage in the, re- the message, engage in the repentance, engage in what he's asking us to do. Well, what does he have to say to that? Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That phrase should be as convicting for us today as it was for the Jews of the time of John the Baptist. It is a very difficult thing to hear from a prophet of God. That if we do not bear good fruit, we will be cut down and thrown into the fire. We have to engage with this challenge, and we have to ask ourselves, do we engage with the faith as passive recipients, who are there because somebody tells us that we have to be, or because we're trying to get something out of whatever we're doing? Or do we respond to the love of God and his salvation by then engaging back with the message of God? In this case, engaging back with repentance. I would say it's easy enough to come to Mass, although only about 20% of baptized Catholics do, so apparently it's not that easy. But from our perspective, it's easy enough to show up to something and receive. It's easy enough, right? Because we don't have to necessarily put in more effort than getting in our car and getting there. It is very hard to be called out by the Lord or be called out by John the Baptist and being asked, what are the fruits that we're bearing? What are the ways in which we've received this for a while and now we are building it up again? Reading this book, I am more and more appreciative of the fact that it's very hard to engage in parish ministry right now. A lot of times, our asks are, we need you for two hours every week for a whole year. And that time commitment is big in people's minds. We need to do a better job of providing soft on-ramps. You know, here's an event you can volunteer at. Or here is something that requires maybe one hour a month. That's easier for people to contemplate and get involved with. So I can take a lot of responsibility for the opportunities at least available to the parish. But all of us are baptized, all of us, are conf- all of, us of age should be confirmed. We are called into mission. We have received the message of God. Are we responding to that by giving something back? By trying to build up the kingdom of God? Are we responding to that by bearing fruit? That fruit may be private. It may be something that we're doing for an organization that's not the Catholic Church. But it has to be something to prove that we're engaging with the faith. If we're not doing anything, if we're not giving anything, then what's different than us and the brood of vipers? What's different than us than the axe that's lying at the root of the tree? 
If we don't bear fruit, the Lord is going to make room for trees that will bear fruit. Now, most of the time when I call people into ministry, and usually that happens when somebody says, Father, it would be great if the parish did this, and I say, great, why don't you lead it? And they say, no. Usually when I call people into ministry, that no comes from a pretty authentic place. They say, I don't feel prepared. I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I could do that. I don't feel like I have the gifts necessary to pull that off. And I get it. I get it. But I wouldn't be preaching this homily if they didn't have an answer to that. Our first reading gives us a list of the characteristics of the coming king that Isaiah prophesies. And he says, This king, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. This king that is being prophesied is Jesus. We are baptized into Jesus, priest, prophet, and king. We share in his kingship. And so the spirit that rests upon him also rests upon us. And the attentive reader will know that this is the list of things that is given to us in catechism class as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you are given these gifts. You receive the Holy Spirit at your baptism. It was strengthened at your confirmation. Everybody in this church has these gifts. Now, the very attentive reader will notice that in catechism class, you were given seven gifts, and this is a list of six gifts. It's because there are two texts of the Old Testament. There's the Greek text and the, and the Hebrew text, both honestly equally old and both equally truthful insofar as like how many manuscripts we have and what we can trust. The Greek text uses a different word for the first fear of the Lord rather than repeating, and that's given to us as piety. So, in the Catholic worldview, piety, despite our bishop's translation of this Bible from the Hebrew rather than the Greek, piety is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, all of it is to say, you are all baptized into Christ, you all have the Spirit of God resting upon you and dwelling within you, which means that you all have these gifts. And if God calls you to bear fruit, if he calls you to go outside of yourself and do something in response to the salvation you have received, you already have the gifts that you need to do so. The Spirit has already blessed you with his power. You do not need expertise. You do not need to know how to do something. You simply need to ask God to enliven his gifts in you, and you will naturally bear fruit. A tree doesn't need to know how to bear fruit. It just does because of what it is. If you live the Christian life authentically, if you give your life to Jesus, you will bear fruit because of who you are. We'll finish by going through these gifts, because I think it's important to know the gifts you've been given, and also the English words are not particularly helpful, because wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge all sound like the same thing. So, thanks to a piece of software that's produced right down the street, I studied the Greek for you. This is what these words mean. Wisdom, in the Old Testament sense, is always usually a practical way of life. So you think about the Proverbs... It's experiential. These are the lessons that we have learned living a holy life over time. And that's what wisdom means in the Old Testament. It's practical wisdom. It's like a proverb. And so the best way to think of it is the gift that's given you is, in a sense, habitual holiness. That's what wisdom is. It's habitual holiness. The ability to live a life well lived and to have an understanding of what that is.
Understanding, on the other hand, is a little bit more of what we would refer to today as science. The prefix of this Greek word is syn, which is where we get words like synthesis. It's making connections between things. And so understanding lets us see the world as it is and to understand how everything in the world connects to everything else. These are two intellectual gifts. These are things that have to do with knowing things as they are, knowing what a good moral life is, knowing what the world is and how to operate in it. Those two are then complemented by the next two, which are practical gifts. Counsel is the one I was most surprised by. Apparently, this word is actually very often translated as plan or planning. It doesn't have as much to do as I thought about telling other people what to do, but it's really having a concrete approach to things. The gift of the Spirit given to you is that you now can be concrete in the way that you live things out. You can know, this is the perfection of prudence, you can know the right thing to do. Wisdom is sort of a natural inclination to have this practical experience, this experiential um, life with God, but counsel is the actual step-by-step -step plan, the list that you make. And strength is exactly what it says, actually. It's just the strength to live it out, to have the plan and then the strength to do it. And then the final three gifts, or two if you're reading Hebrew, but I don't, the final three gifts have more to do with God, because obviously God is the one doing all of this for us and getting us through it. And so knowledge in this case is the Greek word gnosis, where we get the word gnostic. It is more esoteric knowledge. So wisdom has to do with the practical living, and understanding has to do with practical understanding or knowledge of the world, but this knowledge is knowledge of God. The ability to know the mind of God or the will of God, to unite ourselves to the Lord so that our plans and our understanding are not our plans, but His plans. A gift given to you by the Holy Spirit to know the plan of God. In the Greek text, in the Septuagint, the next one, piety, it's a Greek word that begins with the prefix eu, like eulogy. A eulogy is a good word, a eulogos. Well, this one, it's good worship. It's worship, it's offering to God, but done well. The gift given to you is to know how to praise God well, to know how to worship God well, to know how to be devoted to the Lord well, to live that life of devotion well. You don't have to worry about it. I know we've been giving you cards on how to do that over the last couple months, but the gift of the Holy Spirit gives you everything you need to carry it out. You already have that gift. And then finally, fear of the Lord is interesting. We always try to explain this one away as though it's, it's not like, oh, the word fear doesn't mean what you think it means. It turns out in the Greek it does. It's the word phobos, where we get the word phobia, right? We are afraid of things that are going to hurt us. It is okay to have a phobia of snakes. I visit my dad in Dallas all the time. Those snakes will kill you. Not fun. It's okay to have a phobia of things that are going to kill you. Well... In the Old Testament, nobody can see God and live. If you look at God, you will die. God is so big and so grand that he will kill you. Not out of his own will, not because he's malicious, but because he is too much for your human existence to handle. And it is a gift of the Holy Spirit to know that about God. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit to say, God is so grand that I cannot conceptualize him. 
We get numb to God because we put him in a box where we say, oh, this is who God is. I already know who he is. He can't surprise me. He can't challenge me. He can't be bigger than I conceptualize of him. That is not fear of the Lord because you do not fear that which you understand and have control over. Instead, you fear that which you do not understand and that which you do not have control over. Things that are too big or too scary because they might kill you. That's the fear of the Lord. To say that he is so grand that I cannot and will never truly understand him. A gift of the Holy Spirit. You have all of these gifts. You know the Lord. You know how wonderful he is. You know how to worship him. You have access to his will. With that, you have an understanding of the things of this world and how to live well and holily in this world. And then you have the planning and the capacity to do so. We have no excuse not to bear fruit. No excuse. Because the Holy Spirit is given to us. If we ask the Holy Spirit to enliven in us His gifts, then that fruit will just come like it comes on a tree. And that fruit will feed us. It will feed our families It will feed our parishes, it will feed our communities, and it will feed the world. 